0: Hey friends, have you ever wondered what it means when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand? Can we really experience the reign of Jesus today, right now? Our guest today says it's not only possible, but has made it his life quest to bring the kingdom of God to as many people as he can. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 349, Frank Viola and the subtlety of the kingdom. Friends, Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am delighted. That you have downloaded and found this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, You got a lot of podcasting choices. So the fact that you're here is, I don't think a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in Providence. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, Friends, we have a really great guest. We'll get to that in just a moment. Before I do, let me tell you, uh, if you want to support this show, there's two ways you can do it. The first way, you can uh, tell a friend about it. You listen to this episode, you go, that Guest said exactly what I was thinking. i um, been talking about with my friends. Send them this episode. That helps so much. Just word of mouth lets people know what we're doing. And the other thing, and that's free, right? The other thing is if you go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, you can click on the Patreon button. Uh, some of you do that and help support the show every single month. Even a small amount does help just a little bit to help keep us running and pay for all the stuff that you don't see, but you get to hear. Uh, like hosting and all that kind of stuff. So, if you want to help out, that's the way to do it. Appreciate those of you who do. All right, let's dive straight into our conversation. I'm excited to have this one uh because I know that um it's just going to go to some some great places, topics that I'd love to talk about. Our guest is a best-selling author, conference speaker, blogger and podcaster uh, he helps serious followers of Jesus know their Lord more deeply. And here's the part I love, so they can experience real transformation and make a lasting impact. Uh, his blog is regularly highly rated, and uh, his books are are also just bestsellers, which I think is great. Our guest is Frank Viola. Frank, welcome to Halfway There.
1: Hey, I'm privileged to be on, Eric. It's a great honor. I'm
0: excited to connect with you. We've been talking a little bit, and I'm excited to just hear a little bit more of your story. I think I shared with you uh, when we talked a, a week or two ago about uh, your name was one of those names when I was in, in seminary. Your, uh, your book, I think it was Insurgents, that was mentioned in, in at least one or two of my classes. So you, your writing influence has been, uh, has been a you know, presence for me for sure, and I know I'm not the only one for a long time.
1: Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, the seminaries, <laughs> seminaries do tend to use some of my books, uh, some positively and some negatively, <laughs> well, okay. uh, which is fine because, uh, you know, it's it's getting the word out. Uh, but yeah, I've written some, uh, some books that have some vinegar in it and uh, that challenge status quo thinking. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I was surprised when you told me that on the one hand, but then on the other hand, uh, I was I was encouraged. So yeah, ab-
0: absolutely. So one of the things that I think you, you write about um, is this idea of the kingdom of God, right? And so I want to hear, I want to, so I want to go through your story because that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious uh, as we go, like how you came to that as a, as part of your, you know, part of your message and part of what you're what you're doing cuz i don't i'm not, i as much as i wish that this was the thing i know a lot of people use kingdom language i'm not sure we all mean the same thing
1: right oh right absolutely well just to give you a little bit of my story i came to the lord when i was a teen and i traversed the landscape of uh contemporary christianity and many of its different forms uh mostly evangelical But you had the Charismatics, you had the Southern Baptists, you had the Christian Missionary Alliance, Church of Christ, then on to Episcopal and Anglican and Roman Catholic even, and a host of parachurch organizations and so forth. And what um, my experience left me with was on the one hand taking from each denomination and each movement Uh, truths that really helped me to know the Lord better and to unlock the scriptures. But then after a little while, I was left with the question, there's got to be more than this. (laughs) Yeah. There's to be more than this. And that has led me on uh, what I call the deeper journey, which is the tagline of my ministry. And basically, it raises a question, there has to be more than this. Isn't there? And the answer is yes, there is. Yeah. More to Jesus Christ, more to his word, more to the scriptures, more to the experience of church. And um moving along, I have made various discoveries in that deeper journey. One of them was on what the body of Christ really is in experience, not in doctrine, but in experience. Mm-hmm. When I read the New Testament, I see. A group of people who are absolutely electrified by this person named yes. Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, electrified to the point that they will give their entire life to him, literally, okay? And that they will uh, give their whole devotion, not only to Christ, but to his body. Real flesh and blood people who are also following him— And it's an extended family, and it's beautiful. You know, the early Christians in in the Roman Empire, you know, they took care of one another, Mm -hmm. they loved one another. You had Jew and Gentile, where there was hostility for millennia, arm in arm, calling each other brother, sister. I mean, the Roman Empire never seen anything like it. And not only that, but they gave their lives for one another. They married one another. They buried one another. This was true family, thicker than blood, and that led me on a a journey of radical church restoration, and so my early books, beginning with Pagan Christianity, nice Mm -hmm. title, uh, with George Barna, were uh, a look at what was the church in the first century, and I'm not talking about togas and sandals, I'm talking about the experience of the body of Christ. What was it like? And where did we get to where we are now, where church is simply something you attend, it's a building you sit in, it's a service you go through for two hours, throw your money in the offering plate, watch the performance, sing along with some songs, mm-hmm. listen to some preaching, then go home and live your individualistic Christian life. Where in the world did that come from? And so the that first book— Pagan Christianity was a look at where our modern day church traditions came from. Now it's not an exploration of the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or the Eastern Orthodox. It's it's the Protestant church traditions. And George Barn and I caught fire for that book because little did we know, <laughs> we yeah. were stepping on some sacred cows, but we were really challenging people to ask themselves: Why do I dress up for church on Sunday? Why do I sit in a pew and listen to a, a you know a, a sermon that lasts twenty minutes to forty-five minutes? Why do I uh, observe most of the time during this service, and then why do I go home and live my individual Christian life? Where did all this stuff come from? So that was the the first. Some people call it the red pill. All right, uh, or the gateway drug—that <laughs> was the first book to kind of challenge the status quo and ask questions that very few people have been asking. That led to a whole series of books that constructed and built up. Well, how do we get to what the Christians had in the first century? This, mm-hmm. this, this shared life community um, where they were absolutely blown away by this person, Jesus Christ, and were knowing Him experientially together. Um, you know, And so I wrote a series of books following that, Reimagining Church, From Eternity to Here, and Finding Organic Church that explain all of that. And Eric, not only did it come from my study of the scriptures and many scholars who have looked at this uh, subject over many different years, they're mostly unknown, um, but I experienced it. Over 25 years of living in what I will call... Yeah body life, organic church life. Just incredible. Changed my life. Okay. Well, thank you. Those are the stories. We'll get to the kingdom in a minute, but I'm going first, it started with church and then it moved to kingdom. So yes, I'll, I'll I'll go uh, ahead and jump uh, in here.
0: Those are the questions that those are the stories that I want to hear. So let's go back a little bit and I want to hear a few, a few stories. Um, So by the way, you didn't, you don't know this, I don't think, but, that was my animating question as well. Like I, my question was, I growing up in a small town, well, Des Moines, Iowa, so small church. Yeah. I would read the scriptures and I would go, I don't see this here, right? Right. I, mean, right. I don't see like what. It, so the question for me was, how do we grow in Christ? How do we get there? Right? What is that? What do we do? And so that led me. I always say, you know, as evangelicals, we have uh, two spiritual disciplines and that's, uh, read the Bible and pray, but nobody will ever teach you how to do either one. So I went right. to, to college to learn how to read the Bible and seminary to learn how to pray, exploring other traditions, um, and a lot of that as well. So anyway, we'll t- with we, that's, that's all. Well, there's a lot there and we can, we can go into it, but let's go back for you. So you said you gave your life to Christ as a, as a teenager. Where did you grow up? Where were you?
1: Well, it started in New York. So I'm a New Yorker. I'm an Italian from New York. Okay. I love New York style pizza still. (laughs) I've never recovered from it. I look for it everywhere I go. It's hard to find. Uh, But uh, then later on, I moved, uh, still in my teens, I moved to Florida. And so I've been in Florida ever since. And my blood has thinned out. And now I'm very sensitive to cold weather. But (laughs) uh, all of the church life experiences that I've had that are Uh, along the lines of what I would call true, authentic, organic expressions of the church. They have been in Florida, and then I've traveled and worked with groups uh, all over. Um, But the, um, the, the quest to find out what the body of Christ was then led me to a quest on the kingdom of God. And what I really honed in on, this is some years ago, is this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh And we find it in Jesus, but we also find it in Paul, and we find it in Philip, and we find it in the other apostles, in some of their epistles, as well as in the story in Acts. And so I asked the question, what on earth is the gospel of the kingdom, and what is the kingdom of God? You said in the opening, everybody has a different take on the kingdom, and that's true. But what I learned in looking at this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom— all throughout the New Testament, and then backing up to the Old Testament and looking at the subject of the kingdom of God, not in a way where most of us are taught to read the scriptures, and that's topically, where we kind of cut and paste verses on a similar topic or the same topic, and we we cut them from different books of the Bible, and we paste them together, and we create a doctrine— Um, What I did instead was I looked at it chronologically, and I looked at it narratively. Beginning in Genesis, the first mention of the word kingdom is in the book of Genesis. It's not speaking to the kingdom of God, by the way. Um, And I followed it chronologically, and I came out with a totally new understanding of what the kingdom is and what the gospel is— and I put it all in a book called Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which came out just a few years ago, and uh, many have called that my signature work. Yeah. Um, and and so what I said about the church recently, about the body of Christ in experience, the kingdom of God cannot be disconnected from that, because what the kingdom of God is, it's an alternative civilization That comes out of the heavenlies, but it's on planet Earth, and we can experience it today. And when the early Christians, you know, were meeting together, enthroning Christ, saying no to Caesar, not bowing the knee to Caesar and the the pagan gods, they were the expression of the kingdom of God in that city, wherever it was, Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, Rome, that was the kingdom of God. The reign of God being manifested through a corporate group of believers, people, disciples of Jesus who had enthroned him in their lives individually, but not just individually, together, an alternative civilization. So that's what my book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, explores, and that's the answer to your previous question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Okay. So did you, you said you grew up in New York and Florida, where were you? So when you gave your life to Christ, like tell us that story, what happened?
1: Well, I had two conversions. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about the second blessing, uh, in the Pentecostal world, although my roots are in uh Pentecostal church, my early roots. Um, when I was about 10, um, I was in an assemblies of God and they preached the gospel of Jesus. And they talked about eternal judgment. And so um, that got my attention. And I, uh, they had an altar call, which is customary in lots of evangelical churches. And I responded to it. And I had an authentic experience. I, I surrendered my life to the Lord. I didn't fully know what that meant at the time. I was 10 years old yeah how could you but but something happened to me where i really believed that jesus of nazareth was still alive that he did rise again from the dead and that i can have a relationship with him and um for the next 6 years that manifested itself in that i i had a conscience where lots of my peers my friends they did not like i you know there were certain things that they were doing that i just felt like well no i'm i'm not going to do that uh, I don't feel that that would be pleasing to God, but that was the extent of it. I, I didn't really understand much more than that, and um, but to this day, I see that God has ke- God has had His hand on me and kept me from doing things and engaging in things that lots of my peers did engage in at an early age, you know, uh, early teens, and 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 that screwed their lives up. So I, I credit that uh, to the Lord. But when I was sixteen. I had an awakening in my spirit, but i it was not a physical vision, but I had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. That's the best way I could describe it, where my eyes opened up to see how tremendously awesome he was and how different he was from everything else in the world that I had known. And my heart melted, and it was captured by Him. And at that point, there grew in me a hunger and a thirst to know Him. I wanted to know the Lord, right? And not only that, but I wanted to know everything about Him, and I wanted to know the scriptures, because I knew the scriptures testified of him. So I wanted to find everything I could find out about the scriptures. And so I became a student of scripture. I became a student of, of, of the Lord himself. And so I was only 16, and I was attending these Bible studies. That's another story in itself, but I was attending these Bible studies where everyone else was in their 30s and 40s and up. And I, I'm wow. this 16 year old kid, and of course, you know they were all were marveling at that and loved it because look, we got a young person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but some of these guys, they knew the Lord, they knew how to pray, they knew the scriptures, and man, I just ate it up. It was, it was uh like a sport to me, you know. Yeah.
0: So what what happened? Like why why did this awakening happen?
1: Oh well no one can explain why that happens you know why did paul of tarsus meet the lord on damascus sure, but like why for did you that happen?
0: when you look at like what was your experience of it take me into that experience so that our audience can go oh that's okay so they can experience no, I, i'm
1: not sure i'm not sure it would be like that because uh, you know certain experiences that different people have it's hard to to articulate it uh where everyone else can say oh yeah i know what he's talking about and sometimes we filter things like i've i have friends who've had um, experiences of a Lord that, you know, one one friend of mine said, I had an experience of a Lord. He was, uh, I think he was 17 years old. He was in the back of a, a Chevy car. And um, he, the only way he could describe it is he drowned in a river of love and he mm. shook for three days after that. Yeah. Now, I I, don't, I can't relate to that. I've never right. had that. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's so, like D- DL Moody had one of those experiences too, right? And his ministry completely changed,
1: like, yes, but, and that, but that's what I'm looking for. Like, like what? So what? Well, the best way I can describe it is you're a married man, correct?
0: Yes. Okay. Twenty six years soon.
1: Okay, so you're still married. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so and far. I'm married too. But just imagine this: the early days when you're dating your wife. And maybe it was just before you were dating her or while you were dating her, and you look over at her. I don't know, you know, the scene, uh, the, the scene I've given some people to describe this is you're sitting on the beach, your girlfriend's out there in the water or your fiance, she gets out of the water and she starts walking toward you and your eyes, you know, lift and you catch a glimpse of her like you've never seen him before, seen her before. And you are just enraptured. You are awakened. You see her like, it's, it's its like an unveiling. And you absolutely, not only are you in awe, but your emotions begin to rush with this dramatic sense of love. And you are falling for her. Well, that's what it was like yeah. with Lord. <laughs> was this was like in like time of prayer? Or how did that happen? No, no, I, no, it wasn't. I was actually uh with some of my peers and they were drinking beers. I mean, we're like 16 years old, and I'm drinking a beer and now we weren't drunk or anything. we were just drinking a beer uh because that's what teenagers do. and so um they're sitting there talking about their philosophies of life and what they're going to do in the future and all of a sudden it hit me and my eyes were open to see the Lord and and not only did I see him, in inwardly now, like I never seen them before. I I looked around, I said, these guys don't even know what they're talking about. They've not seen what I just saw seconds ago. And it totally changed the trajectory, trajectory, I can't say that word. It (laughs) totally changed the course of my life. That's easier. I can't speak English. And um, from that point on, uh, man, I stopped, I stopped doing a lot of things I was doing. I was not into any kind of what, what you would call a teenage sin. Okay. You know, I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't getting uh, high. You know, I, I've never smoked marijuana in my life. That was one of the things the Lord kept me from when I was young, very young. Yeah. 10. But um, I stopped going to parties. I stopped hanging out with the guys that I was hanging out with. Even though I wasn't partaking in some of their drugs, I still was hanging out with them. And and I, I just want to know the Lord so bad that I, I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me Christian friends here because I'm not doing all the stuff that these guys are doing. I'm not going in their direction. And he did. He blessed me with a, a strong Christian friend who was from a different uh, tradition. And we just began to study scripture together. We began to talk about the Lord together. It was pretty, pretty amazing. And, and here's, the, here's the point I'm making. That happened so long ago, brother. That hunger and that desire and that thirst for Jesus Christ still lives and breathes in me. And the thing about the Lord is this. You can taste of Him. You can drink of Him. It'll satisfy you, but you're going to be hungry again for Him. Mm. You're going to be thirsty again for Him. That well never runs dry. And uh, the the closest thing I can can articulate uh, to express it is that um, Paul's words in Ephesians 3, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And brother, I'm here on this earth, and I have been here on this earth, to tap into the unsearchable riches of Christ as much as I can lay hold of. Experience it myself and then give it to God's people, and that's what my ministry is. That's the deeper journey, in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, boy, I love that. Okay, the reason I wanted you to share kind of that experience is really for one reason. I think we it I can read on a page something like the unsearchable riches of Christ, right? Yes, but it might it means nothing to me. It just is words on a page, right? until you experience it, you don't, you don't know the depths of it until right. you actually Amen. experience it yourself. And you, but the hard part is you can't control it. Right. So like uh, it's, this is dependent on God to have given you this experience. Would you say that?
1: Yes. Uh, yes, it is. It is something you can't control. However, you can put yourself in a position Right. right, to right. experience absolutely. This, absolutely, you know, and and there are certain things that you could do that will um, kind of get you out of line,
0: yeah,
1: um, from that receptive position. So, so yes, on the one hand, we can't control it. On the on the one hand, we can't make it happen. On the other hand, we can put ourselves in certain kinds of positions, both spiritually, emotionally, mentally, etc., that will. Um, uh, that will uh, allow us to receive um, when he's good and ready to do it. And here, here's the other part of it is, uh, here's the other part of it, Eric, and that is that the, the presence of God sometimes comes to us in dramatic, profound ways that are uh, unshakable. You know, we, we'll never forget them. But very often the presence of God is incredibly subtle. And we see this in the New Testament yeah. and the Old Testament too. You know, Jacob, he's he's uh, he has a dream, and then he says, "Well, you know, I was in the presence of God. I just I just touched heaven. You know, God is in this place." He called it Bethel. Uh, Samson did not know when the Lord left him. All right, it was that subtle. And so there are many other examples in the Old Testament that we yeah. can see how God's presence is very subtle. But if we attune ourselves to Him, right, we can even detect when His presence is um, being granted yeah. to us, uh, in, in even in subtle ways.
0: Absolutely, paying attention, I think, is is good, and that's what spiritual disciplines are for, right? To put us into that position to receive. So I love that, but I think a lot of people don't experience it. And so that's why I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So you have this experience, this catapults you into a really hunger and, you know, kind of consuming everything that you can, you were at church when you could be and all that, all that kind of stuff where, when did, um, d- did, you immediately feel a call to ministry or when did that like start to develop for you? <clears throat>
1: Well, when I was 17, so this is a year after I had that initial um, powerful experience of the Lord. When I was 17, I, I remember I was in my room. I was listening to something. I don't remember exactly what. I think it was somebody speaking. And um, I had an awakening. It was just a, an inward knowing that I'm called to to preach and to teach. But I also at that moment knew that I was not called to be a local pastor of a church. And I also knew that I was not to go to Bible college or seminary, which I never have done. Although although I have many friends who are seminary professors, some some of which well-known. I've spoken with them in conferences. I've debated with some of them. (laughs) Some of them have endorsed my books. It's kind of fascinating because I know that world. Um, A lot of the people I minister to, a lot of A lot of people who come to my mastermind, they're seminary graduates, some teaching seminary level, Um, but I never went down that path. And I'm glad I didn't, because I think my perspective would be different. I wouldn't be able to see the things I see, um, for better or for worse. (laughs) Um, But I knew at that moment, when I was 17, I was called to the Lord's work. I didn't know exactly what it was that was unfolded later. But I knew a, I was to uh, speak, uh, mainly teach um, and preach, and two I was not to go through the, I was not to engage in and pursue the uh, traditional uh methods and avenues that people uh, pursue when they feel a call of God. So those were the two main things, yeah,
0: yeah, interesting that you felt like, no, they're probably not the the traditional pastoral path. Um, yeah. Did did anybody ever try to hire you?
1: Uh, over the years I've had opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I have. Mm, Well, especially, you know, after I've, um, uh, written books and had them published and so forth. Uh, but no, even in my early days before I ever wrote anything, um, I was given an opportunity to co labor with a pastor and, um, and I, I just didn't, I didn't feel, um, didn't feel peace about it, and so I, I didn't do that. But the, the, it's so fascinating, though, Eric, because I work with lots of pastors, and I work with seminary graduates, and I work with, you know, and even have, as I say, um, worked with in some capacity. Well, I wrote three books with one of the leading seminary professors in the world, um, but I'm not, I, I'm not in that world. So it's it's just a fascinating thing, and I have lots to say about, about yeah. that. Whole. World. but we'll, we'll we'll speak on that another time maybe Well,
0: right it is it is interesting and uh there's things that would change there's things that I really did appreciate uh in yes. my yes. seminary experience as well so I think they do what they can but there's it's a whole another thing so okay so I was interested in that so then you felt called to ministry and you went you went for so where did you go what did you do as you were pursuing that what you know how did that take take shape in your say 20s
1: well I went off to college in uh, in in um, central florida and i became a, a teacher a public school teacher and that was my form of mending tents and as i was doing that uh, i was learning about through experience what the church was uh, my friends and i had uh, left the traditional church we were attending and we just started meeting very simply uh, in a home, and then we would travel and meet in different homes around the city. Did you we refer for
0: getting... a, a particular purpose, or was it just decided we it? We wanted
1: for you? to. We wanted to know what the oh leave. Okay, so the reason why we met is we wanted to understand experientially what the church was. All right, what what was this experience that the early Christians were having? That was that was the reason. The reason why we left is. Um, various, various reasons were, were in play for different people. Like, so some just felt a call to leave. Um, for me, I basically, I I had come to the end of my, you know, traversing of different churches and denominations and experiences where I was saying, okay, there's gotta be more than this. But the thing that really pushed me out was, um, we came in contact, my friend and I came in contact with an authentically demon-possessed person. Now, I say authentic because this, this guy had all of the traits that we see in the New Testament. He had clairvoyance, he knew things that were you could not know in a natural way. His voice would change, he would become guttural. Um, the the demons in him had names. I still remember one of them. This is we're going way back in the yeah, late 80s. Yeah. And um, he would respond to the name of Jesus with profound violence. And um, we we ended up, it's a long story, but we ended up casting the demons out of him. But before that happened, we went to our church. We were attending a Pentecostal church, and we asked the leadership if they could minister to him. And their question was, is he a member of our church? <laughs> our response yeah. was, oh, well, no. Well, I'm sorry, we can't help him. Then, then listen to this. We called all of the charismatic and Pentecostal churches in the city. All right. You know, we didn't know them. We just called them. We looked them up in the phone book back then you had phone books and we called them all up and we explained the situation and every single one of them gave us the same answer. Is he a member of our church? Wow. No, I'm sorry. We cannot help him. What? Yeah. That's That's what we got. And Finally, we found one. It was one exception, and uh, they said, well, we got a guy that ex- specializes in demonized people. Uh, we'll give you his phone number. You can call him. So I I called him one day. He answered. He was a very nice guy. He said, yeah, bring him to the service on Sunday night. Back then, had Sunday night services. It's not popular today. And uh, so I did that. I brought him. His name was Derek. Brought him to the service. <clears throat> and after the service, this this gentleman laid hands on him and prayed for him. And, um, you know, said his thing. And um he said, all right, it's done. He's delivered. And my friend and I looked at Derek and he still had glassy eyes. He, <laughs> he you can tell nothing mm-hmm. happened to him. And I said, well, wait a minute. Look, It doesn't appear that anything happened. He said, well, you have to believe you have to just accept it by faith. And we just thought, you know what, this is. I mean, there's a place to exercise faith and walk in faith, not sight, but in a case of a demonized person, <laughs> nothing happened. Weeks went by and he was still the same out of his mind. And, um, so we ended up having our own meeting and we called a meeting. We asked all the brothers and sisters who we knew to meet at a certain time in a house. I remember it was, uh, the house of David's, a friend of mine at the time. And, um, we asked people to fast if they felt inclined to fast, and we spent, I think, two and a half hours with Derek, and it was it was dramatic. I mean, the guy, when we were, you know, speaking in the name of Jesus over, we didn't know what we were doing. We just read the New Testament, and hey, he says, in the name of Jesus, come out. So that's what yeah. we were doing, and, um, and then there was one place where Jesus said, what is your name, speaking to a demon. So we did that. What is your name? And he would say it. And then we would ask questions like, well, how did you get in? And 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 we were talking to these demons. And it was, it was, it was incredible because at the end of it, he started to vomit. And it was it was vomit I'd never seen before. Yeah. It looked like ectoplasm, man. It was green. And we had to get boxes to, to catch it all because he was spewing all over the place. After that meeting, this guy was in his right mind. Totally delivered, he didn't have to take antipsychotic medication, nothing. He was totally free. It was amazing, and so that raised my faith uh several levels, especially when we say the name Jesus, and he would scream, No, don't say that! You know, it was amazing, and uh I you know I was in my early 20s when I saw this, but basically. Those were the experiences that led me to believe there has to be more to the body of Christ. You know, uh, that was the last leg. I already felt that, but here, here in living color, we did something as non-clergy, that none of the clergymen who we knew and who we went to were able to help us. N- none of them helped us. and we were we we're just these, you know, dumb, young. Uh, layman <laughs> who mm-hmm. who who saw the Lord Jesus Christ show up and deliver a man, and I've been on that track ever since, brother. And I've had so many experiences, just in the simplicity of someone's home, or in a coffee shop, or outdoors in a park. Um, you know, n- n- none of the none of the typical vestiges of clergy and church buildings and services. I mean, I'm not downplaying all of that. I'm just saying we found the Lord in brilliant, powerful, unforgettable ways outside of that. And uh, it, it just wrecked me. It's wrecked me ever since. So. Right.
0: Well, so that was my next question is, okay, you go through an experience like that. You said it you know, took your faith up several notches. I can believe it. Uh, because all of a sudden, the stuff that you're reading in scripture was like, True was right there, right? Was it was right, the experience exactly. we were having. Yep. Okay. So then how did that shape you? You said so this like changed how you are like, okay, I'm I'm kind of all in now in, in, in a different way.
1: Yeah, I think what it did was it it just you know the Bible says we move from faith to faith. And so that catapulted me to a new level of faith. And also too, it showed me the power of the body of Christ outside of the professional clergy because we were doing this as non-clergy people you know um and and so we began to we began to meet we began to share the gospel with people um and most of our meetings were in homes there's nothing special about a home by the way i'm just pointing out uh, about i'm just pointing out how simple it was and you know we didn't have to pay for a religious building or anything like that and when we got larger, we began to multiply in different homes, but we baptized people ourselves. We did not have to have a priest or a clergyman or a pastor to do that. We had the Lord's Supper together, just like uh, the early Christians did, which was a full-blown celebratory meal. We see this clearly in the book mm, of Acts and right. in 1 uh, Corinthians. I mean, we were, we were experiencing the life of the body of Christ together, outside the traditional religious system. And, And so the books I have written on radical church ecclesiology have all come out of my experience, but they're also tightly and strongly rooted in Scripture. Because as you said in the beginning of this interview, you were reading the New Testament, and you're like, "Wait, wait a minute, how come our church isn't doing this? Why are we different? And I'm not talking about the signs and the wonders. I'm just talking about the whole corporate life. Yeah. the collective life of the body of Christ where, you know, they were they were so knit together, this people. And they weren't perfect. They had problems. And, and we had problems too. In fact, what's really interesting is that the problems uh, that church that meets according to New Testament lines will have are the same exact problems that you read about in the New Testament. So when you read the New Testament, Uh, especially Paul's letters, you're living in the same context, and so you can understand a lot of his instructions a whole lot better than if you're just, you know, uh, a pew potato sitting in a pew, listening to a sermon, singing along with the worship team, and going home, you know what I mean? Because you're living in the actual context in which the, the letters of the New Testament were written, and so it really opened up the New Testament for us, and then we got to see that we were actually embodying The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavenlies come to earth. First, it was embodied in Jesus, but when he was resurrected, and on the day of Pentecost, he multiplied. The seed went into the ground. It came up many grains, many seeds. Mm -hmm. And those seeds were then put into an oven on the day of Pentecost, and they uh, they came out of the oven as one loaf, right? That's the corporate element. And one of the things that I have learned— um, by experience, but also it's all over the New Testament, is that the, the Christian life was never meant to be lived as an individual. It was always meant to be lived in a, in a living, breathing community of believers, hence the body of Christ. And so, anyway, that that's kind of a short uh, riff on <laughs> some of my story.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate all of that. I'm also probably going to steal and adopt the term uh, "pew potato," so that's great. Uh,
1: very good. That's free. I won't charge you for that. Uh, thank you. I appreciate. That. I can't remember who I stole it from.
0: <laughs> right. It's fantastic. I love it. I can relate to that so much. Okay. So I. So you you're having these experiences, and you're you're finding not only just more of that same power in Christ, but but also you're living out and understanding what's happening, what you're reading about in scripture. I love that. Okay. Have you ever had a season where you felt like God was far away or been through a dark night of the soul?
1: Well, those are two different things in my mind. Okay. okay. So God far away, absolutely. Um, that is something that is part and parcel of a Christian life. Um, we have a Lord who wants us to live by faith, not by feelings. And it's always nice when he shows us his face and we have an encounter, whether it's one where we weep or it's one where we have a sense and a feeling that's dramatic. But, uh, the Christian life is to, to be lived by faith yeah. and, and, and that's, that's kind of the default, um, Also, his presence is subtle, as I shared before. Um, So to live in the conscious presence of God does not mean that we're feeling God in in an emotional way at all times. Now, the dark night of the soul, which was a term that came from St. John of the Cross, I think what he really was describing, I would describe it as the dark night of the spirit. Uh, I'm one who believes uh, with many theologians that there's a distinction between soul and spirit. And we have we have the distinction in First Thessalonians 5 also in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and in other passages. I don't think that the um, the soul and spirit are the same. So the way I understand this, okay, is that the, the experience of the dark night of the spirit is when is when. The sense, I'm going to put it this way, the background sense of God's presence leaves an individual. And they feel as though they are a practicing atheist. Mm. All right? Now, here's the thing. Every true Christian who has been born from above, who has been regenerated by the Spirit, every true believer who is in Christ and, and in whom Christ lives, has a background sense of God's presence. The thing about it is you're not conscious of it. It's always there. The only way you would know is if it was removed. The best example of this I can give you is, well, you're if you're married, many of your listeners are married, you're wearing a wedding ring. You're not conscious of it until you take it off. Right. Better example would be a fish in the ocean. That fish lives in the ocean 24-7. It's not conscious that it's in the ocean. But you take that fish out of the ocean and immediately it's going to know it's out of its environment. Something's wrong. So when, Yes. So when it comes to the dark night of the soul or the spirit, it is when God dwells in our spirits. He lives there. When that happens to a person, it is a replaying and a re-experiencing of what Jesus went through on the cross when the sense of God's presence left him and he said, Father, where are you? Why have you left me? What's happening to me? Mm -hmm. Right. He had. It's. It's. You are participating in that aspect of his suffering. Now, my observation, Eric, is that that is a very uncommon experience. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about the dark night of the spirit. All right. The way I understand it, it's a very uncommon. I've only met two people in my life who actually had what I would call the dark night of the spirit. Right. And I knew them both very well. And they described it exactly as I have. In fact, they didn't even know that they had the sense of God's presence always with them until it was gone. Now, that's different from a dry spell. Many Christians, I would say all Christians, go through a dry spell. Yeah. That's different from um, feeling like God's left you. You know, where is He? I, my prayers are hitting the ceiling. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord's gone that's different and that's very common and all Christians experience that. this is something so dramatic it's so profound, it's so intense that it almost it almost makes a person want to end their life because it's it's so horrific and um the pe- the two people who I know who had the experience eventually that background presence of God came back to them um but they said, I don't want to. I don't want to be reminded of it, and wow. uh, so so it's it, it's that sort of a thing. So I have never had the what I would call the dark night of the spirit, um, the way I'm describing it here. I've never had that. Have I had the sense of feeling abandoned by God? Have I been frustrated that the Lord has not moved on prayers and fasting over certain things that I know are His will? Yes have i you know been before the lord and not felt a thing absolutely you know often <laughs> yeah um so so those are things that i just would encourage anybody um there's nothing wrong with you now there are times where we could break fellowship with the lord because of something we're allowing you know to live in our lives and and the spirit of god is putting his finger on it and we're not yielding all right um there's always going to be a war inside of us if that's what's happening. All right. But if you if you have no consciousness of anything that you're doing or embracing that's grieving the Lord, this is a common experience. And the antidote to it is to recognize there's nothing abnormal about it. And the Lord wants you to live by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. <clears throat> and and that's that's Christian maturity, really is yeah. that I don't have to feel him. I don't have to see him. I don't have to sense <clears throat> him, but I'm still going to walk by faith because I know he is alive and I know he lives in me. Yep. And that's, that's, that's an expression of Christian maturity.
0: Oh, interesting. I really love that. I'm reminded of the story about, uh, mother Teresa. One time she said, uh, I think it was in her, uh, I can't remember if she did the if it was a biography or an autobiography, but she did, uh, she said that she had only felt the Lord's presence for one month of her life. Mm. Isn't that interesting? All the work she was doing and all that we would expect. Sure. But but her, I, I mean, obviously she's Catholic, we have differences, but she mm-hmm. you know, was serving people and serving the the poorest in yep. the name of the Lord. And you would think that she would have that kind of sense yeah. that would keep her going, but she really didn't. So that speaks to that kind of faith. I think that you're, you're talking about
1: absolutely. Yeah, interesting. absolutely. Interesting.
0: Yep. Okay. So I appreciate that. That's an interesting distinction. I think you're right. I I do think there's a difference between there and I'll tell you why I asked this question, but I think there's a difference between just like sort of a dry spell and a dark night of the soul or a season when Yes. We can, or the spiritual desert. Um, you know, some people call it the the hitting the wall or something, you know, where you're like, because what, what happens in those seasons is, and I think John the Cross described this as well, that God takes some identities away from us. We, we let go of some things and he gives us new things that, uh, that he wants us to do, or we feel freedom to live into who he's actually made us to be. Right. So have you ever had anything, experiences like that, that you, that sort of clarified your, your vision, or you kind of got that early, early on?
1: Well, I, you know, I, the best way I can answer that is I grew up in the, in the Pentecostal charismatic world. And in that world, if you're not feeling God, something's wrong with you. Sure. Right? And also, if you're not hearing his voice, something's wrong with you. And so people will often in that movement, at least the people I knew, God was speaking to them every five seconds, you know? Oh, I was driving mm-hmm. down the street, and the Lord spoke to me, and the, uh, a twig of the tree moved, and God said this, <laughs> and, you know, what's so <laughs> What
0: do you make of that? Because I, I have those friends, too, and I'm like, okay. Well,
1: I, I think, <laughs> while well, I wish they wouldn't say the Lord told me, and I wrote a book. Just We're, we're talking about things that are actually, if anybody's interested, <laughs> I wrote a book called Revise Us Again, not revive us again, but revise us again, revises and revision. And I talk about the dark night of the Spirit. I talk about the felt presence of God, the background presence, everything we're talking about here. And I also have a chapter called The Lord Told Me. And, and it's an <laughs> yeah. exhort. It's Christianese. It's an exhortation to say, you don't have to say the Lord told me. Um, I probably have said the Lord told me maybe over the last 30 years, maybe twice. I don't have to say the Lord told me. If I'm going to speak uh, as the oracles of God, and I really feel the Lord has shown me something, I don't have to flower it up, and I don't have to puff it up by saying the Lord told me. I will say it straight as an arrow, and if it's the Lord, people will know it. You know what I mean? They don't Mm don't have to say the Lord told me. Hey, look, the Lord told me. Eric, listen up. The Lord told me. Uh, like, like right now, as we're talking, I have said things I know have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you said, oh, man, oh, yeah, oh, man. Well, I don't have to say, Eric, the Lord told me to say this right. to you. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I basically got so frustrated, I, I came to the point where I was saying, what's wrong with me? I'm not hearing God every five seconds. I don't feel the Lord every time I approach him. What is wrong with me? And I realized there's nothing wrong with you. I realized that a lot of those things were uh, conditioned and taught in, the, in that particular uh, religious tradition. You know, the people are taught to say, the Lord told me. People are taught to say, oh, I felt God's presence so strong I couldn't stand. I mean, sometimes that does happen. Don't get me wrong. I've had I've had overwhelming experiences. I had one just the other day. I was weeping like uh, like 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 I heard the worst news possible or the greatest news possible and I was just reading 1 Kings 3 and I got a glimpse of Jesus Christ in 1 Kings 3. It was about Solomon, but Solomon is an illustration and a picture and a model of Christ. He is wisdom incarnate. Jesus is. And it just struck me like a thunderclap. And I emotionally responded to it. Do I have that all the time? No. Do I have that most of the time? No. And that's okay. (laughs) Right? And so so basically, the short of it is, I learned the subtlety of God's presence. I have a whole message on that, by the way, where I take I take us through the scriptures and show how people were in the very presence of God and they, they didn't even know it. And they said it later, Oh, I was in God's presence. I didn't even know it. Um, and, and how the Lord works. And um, I wrote a book with Leonard Sweet, if anybody's interested, because oh, yeah. everything I'm saying resulted in this. I wrote a book with Leonard Sweet called Jesus Speaks. And it's all about how the Lord speaks to us today. And, and, the opening chapter in my part of the book, which is part two, it's very practical. It shows you how to recognize the Lord's voice in very practical ways. The opening was all about what I'm saying to you, that, you know, I felt, and so many other Christians I've met felt, what's wrong with me? I'm not hearing God like Joe is. Joe hears God every day, Yes, as the Lord told me. What's wrong with me? And so I start the chapter out, the chapters, it's a whole section of the book, part two of Jesus Speaks. I started out talking about that problem and then I give the solution that has been made real in my life. I can recognize the Lord's voice. I don't have to say the Lord told me, and he speaks in so many different ways, so many different ways.
0: Right. And we just, you have to be paying attention. That goes back to the posture that you were talking about before. I also love, I love this idea of connecting that to maturity, right? I've been really, uh, I don't know what the word is thinking about. I've been thinking about a lot, the idea that, um, so much of evangelicalism is made to keep people small, like and and immature. So like the ways that children think are the ways that we're taught to think about scripture and doctrine and all those things. Like you can not entertain two ideas that are different than the one, you know, than the one thing. And it's just, it's silly sometimes. Um, Because mature people can do that, right? Mature people can understand and not have to know. So I'll just, I'll take that example. So uh, immature, like children, when you're a child, you take everything literally, right? When you're a child, Mm -hmm. you, babies don't know that their parents still exist if they can't see them, if they're not in proximity, right? Right, right. A a mature person goes, no, actually... I know that person's there and I just, because, I can't see them is not, you know, it doesn't yes. mean they don't, they don't exist.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and while you're saying that as a child grows, you know, the parents are always there affirming, the parents are always there giving instant feedback. The parent, you know, is teaching the child how to ride the bike, you know, holding its back, you know, saying, okay, I'll steer for you over here. Turn here, turn there, but then the child comes to a point where it becomes mature enough. it doesn't even need the parent giving instantaneous feedback. It doesn't need the parent holding the handlebars. it doesn't need the parent you know uh calling balls and strikes it It now has Paul talks about the mind having the mind of christ mm-hmm. that's an that's a statement of maturity. There are, and this is part of the book uh, Jesus Speaks that I talked to you about, the second part of it, is that, um, you know, when you have the mind of Christ, you don't have to consult the Lord on every single thing that comes up. Right. You have them. You have his mind. You have his consciousness. You know how he's going to respond to certain things. You don't have to ask him. It's like, you know, my earthly father, I can tell you most of the things he's going to say before he says it. (laughs) I can tell you what his opinion is on various things. I don't have to ask him. I don't have to call him up and say, hey, dad. What do you think about this? Now, there are times where I do have to do that, but when you know somebody, right, when you yep. have gotten to know them and you have matured, you now have a mind, and moving it over to the spiritual, the mind of Christ. There's a there's a, a book, uh, excuse me, there's a, a passage in the Old Testament where the writer says, don't be like the mule where you have to be pulled to the left and to the right. You have to be told, go here, go there. Yeah. It basically, it's 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 a call to wisdom, and that's one of the ways that we discern the Lord and the Lord speaking to us is through wisdom, and that's also in the book Jesus Speaks, if people want to get more into it. There's two parts to that book, just so readers know. The first part, Leonard Sweet writes most of it about all the post-resurrection places where we see Jesus speaking after he was risen from the dead, and he explores all those, and I add, I add some to that. And then the second part is right now here where you live, how do you recognize the Lord speaking to you? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Well, how does that work Yeah, in real life? And that's part two of the book. And I, I wrote most of that.
0: Were there any significant um, experiences that you had? I mean, you've described some of them for us, but anything that stands out to you as you've learned to, to do that and started to realize that you were operating in a just in a way of knowing God and kind of working all the all the time this way, um, that that sort either surprised you or were were kind of formative for you.
1: You know, not really. Mm-hmm. That that was more of a, a gradual um, becoming aware. Yeah. You know, there was not one point in time where I can say, "Well." you know, it was on this day and this month, and this is what happened. And then I realized it wasn't like that. It was a gradual, just like the child who learns how to ride the bike on their own. They, they probably can't tell you when that happened. Right. But there was a point where there was a shift and uh, they were doing it themselves and they didn't need, you know, the, the, the immediate uh, coaching of their, of their parent. Um, So I, I can't tell you that, but what I can tell you is this for years and this, this is this even happened when I was um, writing the book, Jesus Speaks, meaning when I say this happened, it actually didn't happen. It happened after I wrote the book. I came to this realization, and I wish I knew it when I wrote the book because I would have made a whole chapter out of it. But the chapters on in, the, in another book I wrote, I wrote a book called Hang On, Let Go. When you're going through hell on earth, what do you do? Hang on, let go, and it's all about that. Well, there's a chapter in there on coincidences. And someone wisely said that coincidence is um God acting anonymously. <laughs> and I have found in my own life and I I only recently discovered this, probably in 2019 is when it 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 hit me uh quite powerfully is that God often one of the ways it's not the only way but it's one of the ways He often speaks to his children via coincidence. Now, I don't mean, you know, the Yankees won the World Series on the same day it turned 95 in Florida. And, oh, wow, isn't that amazing? I'm talking about things that are, it's hard to explain them because they line up and they go together in such a dramatic way um, that you can't help but look back and say, look, at this is the Lord nudging and saying, yep, mm mm-hmm. You're in my will. You're in the center of my will. You know, you're walking in the way I want you to walk at this time. And I, in 2019, I had a very difficult experience personally. And and that book came out uh, of it. uh, Well, many experiences have had that book came out. uh, Hang on, let go. But that was when I learned the power of coincidence in the confirmation of God's word, two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established by two or three witnesses. In the book of Job, it says God speaks once. No, he speaks twice. And that's the power of the coincidence. And um, if you pay attention, every bush is burning if you pay attention. Yeah. And if you pay attention, one of the ways in which he speaks is coincidences. But in 2019, I started to write them down. And I had a full page of uncanny coincidences that that was, it was the Lord showing me um, that he was with me in a special way that what I was going through was going to turn out uh, for his glory and for my gain, which it did. I didn't know that at the time, but it was, it was um, a way of him giving me feedback from heaven uh, was hard to dismiss, and it was beautiful, and, and even to this day, he speaks to me through coincidence. I'll just give you one small, tiny example. So, I was speaking at a conference last year, and um, it was an important conference. That morning, I got an email, no, excuse me, it was a text from a gentleman that I've not heard from in years, and he says uh, something, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he says, oh, Frank, the Lord just put you on my heart. I just want you to know he's with you and he's going to bless whatever it is you're doing. He had no idea the conference, you know, we're not connected on social media or anything. I've not heard from him in years that comes out of nowhere. Then that, so that's witness one. Then in the room, before the conference, I brought my wife together with uh, three other brothers who I'm close with. I never, ever Um, reveal the subject I'm going to speak on when I'm holding a conference. Okay. Never. The only person that knows are the angels in heaven and my wife. That's it. Okay. Well, so the brothers I was with, they had no idea what I was going to be speaking on. I had not told a soul and my wife doesn't talk to anybody. Okay. (laughs) About stuff like that. We're in the room. And I said, brothers, let's pray. My wife was there too. We started praying. And one of the brothers says, Lord, Lord, We are children of the day, and we ask that you would bless this conference. Well, when he was finished, I turned to my wife and I said, did you hear what Darwin said? She says, yes, I sure did. Well, the conference subject was, we're children of the day. Wow. So that's an example of what I'm talking about. And that was just a little uh, chocolate dropped out of heaven to say, I'm with you. I'm in this conference, and it turned out to be glorious. But it really blessed me, you know, just a little thing like that. Yes.
0: Man, I love that. And I again, this goes back to paying attention and trusting is a thing that a mature believer can do. You can just do your preparation and watch for those things and then appreciate them as they as they come, which I think is so good. Okay, Frank, we're over time. So if you got to go, you just tell me. But I want to I got to ask you one other thing because we haven't even mentioned this yet uh, your, your latest book, which is 48 laws of spiritual power. Okay. I got to tell you, 48 laws of power, uh, mm-hmm. was a book that kind of ruined me, like wrecked me. So, uh, cause. Did I it start- ruin
1: you? Wait a minute. Let me hit pause. Did it ruin you in a good way or a positive way? Not in, a in other good words, way. did it, did it make you a psychopath? Is that what we're dealing with? No, there? no, no. Okay. It, it has
0: the possibility to do that. No, what it did, and maybe it was good. I, so I read that book, um, uh, around the times, maybe twenty twenty one. Around the time, I read several other books, including a church called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Beringer, Jesus and John Wayne uh, by um, Kirsten Kobes Dumais, and then uh, The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire. Right. So, all of these are kind of dealing with this idea of like how evangelicalism has just made a mess of things in various ways, various various things. I start reading. 48 laws of power. And I'm seeing some of the same stuff, right? I'm seeing like, Oh, this is, this is, it's all the same. It's all, it's all this stuff. And it really just kind of, kind of ruined me. So, but I love the idea. I love the book and it was really a, a, an interesting and insightful book, but your book, so you're then so you write 48 laws of spiritual power. And I know that this is, uh, you know, kind of about, uh, you say, it's not, not about like laws, like you have to do these things, but laws as in like, law of gravity. Right. This this is kind of how the way things work. Can you I just want to make sure I we talk about that bef- before we go because maybe it's some of this is kind of what we've been talking about a little bit already.
1: Okay. Yes, <clears throat> definitely. <clears throat> I'm glad you asked this question. Now I want to I want to say a word about a phrase you you uh you made and I want to just comment on it. Um you said you know, all the bad things that evangelicalism has has brought to us. All right, I just want to hit pause there. <clears throat> evangelicalism, and, and this is, this, the evangelical has become a clay word that's been reshaped and molded to mean a million different things. And uh, in the political sphere, it basically means narrow-minded conservative Christians who don't care about anybody else except for money and Republican candidates. Okay. That that's basically what it means in the political uh, secular world. Um Evangelical is really, if you, if you look at the, the roots of it, it basically boils down to four main beliefs that separated right. Christians from <clears throat> during the time there was a, an all out assault on the reliability of the bible you had various uh, theologians who moved toward universalism and you know jesus really wasn't the son of god and denying his deity and all that so evangelical all all that means is this is a person that believes the evangel gospel that jesus of nazareth is this world's true lord and that's true that he's he was resurrected, he is resurrected, he's alive, he died for the sins of the world, and the scriptures are are true. They're true and they're reliable. Now, you know, there's all sorts of nuance in that, but basically, like FF Bruce said, the Bible's true, period. <laughs> um, and and yeah. you know, you can complicate it by words like plenary and this and that. Okay, so I am an evangelical. C.S. Lewis was an evangelical. F.F. Um, Bruce was an evangelical. You mentioned Scott McKnight. He's an evangelical, yes. and he writes an evangelical. You know, we all believe that the scriptures are true. We believe Jesus is who he said he was, according to the testimony of the New Testament. F.F. Um, Bruce wrote a marvelous book called Our, uh, the, uh, the New Testament Isn't Reliable. Yeah, yeah, he argued beautifully. It was yes. N.T. Wright, same thing. Okay. I say that because here's the problem. I have watched many Christians because of certain evangelical leaders and teachers and uh, celebrities, okay, <laughs> um, because they have done some things that are questionable or they've acted in um, undesirable ways or they have really screwed up big time. They throw everything out, and now they're questioning if Jesus is even who the New Testament testifies he is, things like the resurrection and all that. And I wrote an article, um, it's on my blog, frankviola.org. People can search for it, but it's basically called um, When Christian Leaders Deny the Faith. And over the last five years, we've had high-profile evangelical musicians We've had high-profile evangelical uh, Christian leaders not just throw out evangelicalism, but they've actually left the faith, and they denied who Jesus is. And I basically, what I do is I deconstruct their own uh, story and testimony. You know, deconstruction is a nice word. Uh, You could use it many different ways. Many people, when they use that word, they're basically, it's a synonym for abandoning the faith. (laughs) Um, that's what it's become, but but I deconstruct it by taking it apart and going through everything that they say. Like for example, one person said, "Eric, we got tired of going to church." They said, "We we got tired of we 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 didn't enjoy praying or reading the Bible again." Well, guess what? I got tired of the church in 1988. What <laughs> right. I found the experience of the body of Christ, and there's nothing like it. We're made for it. That's different than attending a church service. Read the Bible and pray. Well, the way most Christians, the way I was taught to pray, I find it a major long yawn. It's boring. But I have found a way to encounter Jesus Christ in fellowship that's beyond prayer. Uh, Reading the Scripture. Reading the Scripture can be the most tedious, uh, yawn-inspiring things a human being can do. But to encounter Christ in the Scripture, that's powerful. Mm. So basically, when Christian leaders deny the faith, I'm I'm responding to a lot of their testimony. I just say that because you may have listeners listening to this saying, well, it's either or. If I deconstruct, that means I have to abandon the faith, or I have to throw out yeah. the central tenets of the Christian faith about all Christians, to use C.S. Lewis's phrase— most christians in most ages have believed i got to throw that out just because of you know this yeah. this person well, who so and so so i just wanted to clarify that thank before you. i get to your question
0: i do appreciate that frank so normally i use a, a the term like american evangelicalism and what i mean by that is just sort of the culture the christian quasi fundamentalist culture that has become evangelicalism i do understand there are and maybe our friends don't so i appreciate the the, um, background that there's a difference between like what fundamentalism started a hundred years ago or so. And the evangelicals like Carl Henry, by the I one time Carl made Henry. A, made so, you know, yeah. Uh, it's a long story, but uh, Carl Henry and Billy Graham and some of those people, right. There's a difference between the things that they were, uh, coming out with, but it's been taken over. Right. I think it's pretty clear. In American culture, there are at least some Christian um, movements that are uh, using power in ways that are, I think, nefarious. Yes, right, absolutely, absolutely. And so, and that's what I'm. That's so. When I say American evangelicalism, that's what I'm giving. But I also want to say and differentiate that from what you're talking about the idea of living in the way of the kingdom of God, because that's a whole different deal. And that's actually what gives me hope when I understand that there's that difference. I can go, look, the kingdom of God works this way, right? I spent, I went to, um, the national religious broadcasters, uh, convention and you know what? A lot of good people, everybody's operating on their own, you know, with understanding and, and what they got. I get that. But I, there was so much politics and so much culture yeah, war sure. and all this. And I, but I found a few people, right. A few people who were, Hey, let's bring the grace of God to this area. Hey, let's bring, you know, uh, God's at work in this way, whatever. I found these little pockets and it reminded me the kingdom of God is like yeast, right? Like it just gets in there. You can't see it working, but it's working. It's doing its thing. And it's, it's subtle and like subtle is what you, what you said. It's doing its thing. I just think the two—they're they're very different, right? And so, anyway, I use the term American evangelicalism. maybe I didn't there, but that's generally how I how I Got think it. of it. But it's it's well, a helpful y- distinction.
1: Yes, and we always have to be careful how we define things because you know people will filter whatever they hear through their sure. own experience in the grid. Um, I'm going to get to your question on 48 laws because it's a great one, and I'm happy to answer it. Let me just say this about and and this is related to God's power. Um, <clears throat> I think right now, in the age in which we're living, we have a replay of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were uh, the equivalents of the modern religious right, the conservative right, Mm -hmm. okay? They're the Pharisees. But on the other end, you have the Sadducees. And they're the equivalent of the progressive liberal branch of the Christian family, okay? So what happens, Eric, is that most Christians, when they're—let's say they're brought up into pharisaical faith, all right? um, They look around, and the only thing that they see is the Sadducee branch. So they move over to the liberal progressive world. Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Lord— He transcended both Pharisee and Sadducee. In fact, he gave the Pharisees apoplexy, and he made the Sadducees break out in hides. His message pierced both. And even today, he does the same thing. He does not fit into the conservative right, he does not fit into the progressive left. He is somewhere beyond both. And One of the points I make in the book Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom is that Jesus Christ the King and his message does not fit into either the the progressive left or the conservative right. I I don't mean just politically, but I mean theologically. So that's the perspective where I'm coming from when I wrote this book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. The book that uh, you referenced, 48 Laws of Power— which, by the way, I did take as inspiration for the title. Right. Uh, <laughs> in case anybody was wondering, um, I took that as inspiration for the title. I did not read that book. I heard years ago, I heard maybe five chapters on audio. Somebody gave me a bunch of audiobooks. I was new to audiobooks. So I started listening to them and I found this 48 Laws of Power, which, by the way, is a bestseller. Most of the people who uh, purchased the book are prison inmates and celebrities, <laughs> right? Just in case you were wondering. <laughs> um, that book, here's my statement on that book. It is a disquisition and um, exposition on how the flesh operates. Yeah, it shows people how fallen human flesh can be manipulated. And uh, utilized to gain power and control over other people. It's a study in selfishness, is what it is. And when I hear Christians read it and like it, I, it mortifies <laughs> right. because why? Why would you like this book unless yes. maybe you're trying to understand how fallen humans operate at a high level, right? Um, but I, I couldn't get past, I got four or five chapters. I said, I am not, I I have no interest in this. I know what the flesh is. I've seen it in myself. I don't want to learn more about it. You know what I mean? Or (laughs) I don't want to hear stories from history about how people exercise the flesh. You know, the flesh is nailed to the cross and that's where it ought to be, uh, in the life of the Christian. So anyway, I got the title from, uh, (laughs) from Robert Greene. And um, I wanted to write a book on how God's power operates in the believer's life and in ministry. And over the last 40 years, I have excavated uh, all the things that I I shouldn't say all, but a lot of what I've learned being in ministry, uh, being with the Lord's people, being with unbelievers, ministering Christ to them. Um, And and even in my own life, my own personal relationship with the Lord, I have tried to distill how God's true power operates through a human vessel, what increases it in a person's life and what decreases it in a person's life. And I'm exhibit A, because everything I write about comes from my own experience, as well as the experience of other people who I've learned from, right? And so... Um, that's what the book does. And one thing about the power of God, I will say, is it it operates completely opposite yep. of the flesh. So you could take all of the laws that Robert Greene has, has written, um, and if you invert them,
0: <laughs>
1: yep. now you're going to get uh, an inkling into what the kingdom of God is and how it operates. Uh, the other thing is the laws of uh, the spiritual laws that operate in God's universe, um, they're counterintuitive, they're countercultural, they're counternatural. natural. And uh, so that's what I have done here as I've tried to write a book about God's power and. Just so people listening know, this is not uh, this is not a book that teaches you how to zap demons and, you know, <laughs> do great wonders and eat cucumbers. Um, it does talk about the supernatural, the miraculous some, but it really goes into our day-to-day lives and ministry of all kinds. Whether you're talking to a fellow Christian and trying to counsel them through a problem, or you're talking to an unbeliever and you're trying to show them the Lord— or you're, or you're someone who speaks in front of audiences, or you're a pastor, or you're a teacher, or you're a podcaster, okay? Um, that's ministry. So it's yeah. all about how to leverage God's power <laughs> for His glory and for His gain. And that always benefits us as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely it does. Okay, I love that. And that, friends, I want you to check it out, uh, particularly if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, we have mentioned a ton of books today, partly because Frankie, you've just written so many. Like you're, you're prolific, and I, I appreciate that. Um, but uh, so they're there, and then anything else that we mentioned, uh, including uh, when Christian leaders deny the faith, I think that'll be really helpful for people. Is all linked up in halfway there podcast. in the show notes, and it's probably in your app there as well. You can just click it and pick those up. Definitely. You should, um, Frank, thanks for being here. I really do appreciate hearing some of your story and talking about these subjects. This is the stuff I love to talk about. So I'm really grateful. Is there anything? Oh, let me just say before I, before I do that, um, your website is, uh, frankviola.org. Is that right?
1: That's it. Everything we've talked about the articles, there's podcasts on there. Um, it's over over a thousand articles and there's a search window if you click on articles and all the books are there too. So yeah, everything is there. Perfect.
0: Is there anything you want to leave us with?
1: Yeah. If I have any, um, listeners, uh, who are in ministry, whether you're a pastor, a teacher, somebody, a missionary, or maybe a professor, I hold a mastermind every year geared toward people in ministry. It's called Ministry Mind. And uh, the other term for it is the insurgents experience. And we have one coming up next year, whenever this thing airs. You can go to Ministry Mind. It's all one word, ministrymind.org, or G, ministrymind.org, and look at what it is. And if it resonates with you, you can apply. Uh, but it's a great uh, experience, a mastermind Masterminds are very popular in the business world. I'm sure, Eric, you're familiar with them. Oh, yeah. But in the Christian space, most Christian leaders have no idea what a mastermind is. It's not a cohort. It's not a pastor's network meeting. It's beyond all those things. So anyway, I give that to you if you're in ministry. Absolutely. That's perfect. Thanks for being
0: here, Frank. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. My honor.